السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار uh, so we resume our lessons uh, today with the next uh, series of short lectures by sheikh ubaid rahimahullah and so today's topic that we're going to start for the next few lectures insha'Allah ta'ala is titled Sharh Ayatul Huquq Al-Ashrah which is an explanation of the verse which mentions the 10 rights these are 10 rights which are mentioned in an ayah in Surah An-Nisa in the 4th chapter of the Quran verse number 36 and before we mention these rights and before we commence into the topic, just a few words about these rights, haq and huquq. And first of all, what is, the, what is the meaning of this word? First of all, in the Arabic language, uh, what are the various meanings? Uh, so some of the scholars say that the meaning of haq, it means al-muwafaqa or al-mutabaqa which means al-muwafaqa, meaning that which agrees, that which concurs, meaning that which, that which agrees with what is true and correct and real, which is, which is an agreement, which is, which is in conformity. Right? That's one explanation. Some others say that it means, uh, it, it, is, it, is, uh, it refers to that which is as-sihha, uh, as-sihha, that which is sound and correct, that which is uh, has thubut, which is affirmed and established, that which is a sidq, that which is true, right? So all of these are various meanings of the word haq. And in our context, in this context that we are speaking of today, the word haq, what does it mean? Here it's referring to rights, the rights. And so here the meaning would be what the legislation, which is the Sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what it has granted to people. It has granted to people certain rights that they have. And they have them over other people. And Allah has made these rights to be binding. Binding. And they are to be respected. And they are not to be violated. Right? So this is the right, the haq that we are speaking of. Similarly, a right, a haq is something that Allah has affirmed for himself or for his servants. For himself or for his servants. And it is by way of revelation, by way of the sharia, by way of wahi. Right? So this is what we mean, rights, haq. And so we have to understand before we proceed that the rights that we have as servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are given to us by our creator and our maker. 
and they are granted to us by way of revelation. Because Allah He is, as we, as we read in the Quran, Allah is the creator of every, everything. And the one who creates, He has knowledge of what He creates. Should He not know who created? So the creator has ilm of what He created. And the creator is the owner of what he created right he's the creator the, the, the owner of everything that he, that he created and as we read in the Quran also lahu mulku samawati wal ard to Allah belongs the dominion of the heavens and the earth so this means that Allah is the one who confers and gives because he, he has ilm and he has mulk and likewise he has hikmah he has wisdom in what he creates and what he legislates. And this is an important principle in our creed that we believe Allah he does not create except for a wisdom, nor does he legislate except for a wisdom. And so an example of that would be in the Quran, uh, I did not create the jinn and men except that they may worship me so in this verse is the wisdom behind the creation of jinn and men it is worship right this is the this is the wisdom behind the actual creation and then in other ayat we see uh, as we see in this ayat that we're going to look at today and worship Allah and do not associate any partners with him. This now is a command. So the first ayah I mentioned is the wisdom behind creation. In this verse and similar verses is the command to worship Allah alone. And Allah does not command except for a wisdom. So when we are commanded to worship Allah alone, this is because worshipping Allah alone is the truth. It is haqq. It is al-adal. It is justice, it is islah, it is rectification, it is beneficial for us, for, for, for rectification upon this earth. Right? So this is the, the wisdom behind the command. So we have the creation and we have the command. The, leg, the, the command and the, uh, and, and the creation. So upon this, who is the one who confers rights? Who is the one who gives rights? Is it... The United Nations? Is it a particular government or a country? Is it a king? Is it a, who gives who gives rights? It is Allah who gives rights because He is we are His servants. And He who creates, He owns. And He who owns, He is the one who regulates. And so He uh, commands and he prohibits he legislates and he is the one who grants the rights right so all of our rights they come from Allah and they are mentioned by way of they are, they are outlined and they are granted by way of uh, the revelation so we see various types of rights mentioned in, in the Quran and the Sunnah the greatest right as we shall see is the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to be worshipped alone and to be obeyed 
And then after we have the rights of the messengers and the messenger Muhammad that he is loved and he is obeyed and he is believed in and that we worship Allah by way of his, what, what he conveyed of the sunnah. This is the right of the messenger. And then we have the right of the parents of obedience. We shall look at these inshallah ta'ala. Then we have the rights of the Muslims in general. The five rights are the six rights when you meet him. You give salam to him. When he's ill, you visit him. And when he invites you, respond to him. When he sneezes, uh, you say, Yarhamukullah, and so on and so forth. And then the rights of the neighbor. So all of these are rights which Allah has conferred. And likewise, there are other rights between the spouses. There is the right of wealth. There is right of ownership. There is right of inheritance. All of these, it is Allah who conveys or who, who confers these rights upon Mankind this is not anybody else because only he who creates owns and he who owns is the one who has disposal over what he created. So Allah is the one who confers these rights as we said. Now this is something very well known and very well understood uh, by, uh, by the people of disbelief even they understand that no one can be willingly enslaved and have his rights taken away against his will. Right? This used to happen centuries bygone, that you, you, you could be enslaved against your will. This used to happen if you had a debt, if you killed somebody, if you were a, a renegade, if you didn't pay taxes, if you didn't, you could be taken as a slave and you have no property, you have no uh, food, you have no clothing, and so you are a slave to other people. So people would be enslaved in this manner. And all your rights are basically taken away. Now the nations, they know that you can't, you can't do this. You can't, you can't uh, enslave someone against his will. So what they do is they make you give up your rights by way of contract. So you can give away your rights by entering into contractual agreements. So to give you an example... In many nations, you become a citizen. And when you become a citizen, what you are doing is you, you are accepting privileges in return for rights which are due upon you. And we see this very clearly now in, in a lot of these Western nations where you know, if you want to become a citizen, you have to agree to certain things. You have to agree to certain um, values and, and morals and you know, ethics and, and within which is a contradiction, a clash to the legislation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So they get you to agree contractually to, to remove yourself from being a slave of Allah and being subject or having rights that Allah has granted you and rights other people have upon you to then somehow reduce your status and to have your rights conferred, conferred by somebody else, right? by some other institution or whatever. So we need to be very clear about this from the very beginning, that who is the one who grants us our rights? It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we are his slaves, we are his servants. And uh, it is Allah who out of his wisdom has conferred all of the various rights in the Quran. There are many others. We are just looking at one particular verse in today's, today's lesson and uh, to, to look at uh, certain types of rights that we have 
in terms of our interactions and uh, relationships. So, commencing, Shaykh Rahimahullah, he begins by mentioning the ayah in the Quran, in Surah An-Nisa, in which Allah Zawajal, he, uh, Allah Zawajal, he said, Worship Allah alone and do not associate any partners with him. And to the parents, he has enjoined benevolence. Benevolence. And to the near relatives, the relatives, and the orphans, and those who are the needy, and the neighbor who is near, and the neighbor who is at a distance, and and the one who is the companion, the one who is your associate or companion, the one who is on a journey, who is traveling, and that which your right hands possess. Indeed, Allah does not like the one who is boastful and you know, has pride or arrogance. So in this ayah, as you can see, there are ten rights which are mentioned. The first of them is the right of Allah. Then we have the right of the parents. Then we have the right of the near relatives. Then the right of the orphan. And then the right of the needy. Then the right of the neighbor who is close to you, the neighbor who is distant from you, and then a companion who you associate with. This has numerous meanings, which we shall look at inshallah ta'ala. And then also the traveler. And then finally, those which your right hands possess. So commenting upon this ayah, the Shaykh Rahimahullah, he says that whoever reflects upon this verse, that uh, will know with certainty that... It is just as the people of knowledge have said that this verse is called Ayatul Hukuq al-Ashara. This verse is known as the verse of the ten rights. The verse of the ten rights. And these rights which are mentioned, we can be, they can be divided into either two categories or even three categories as, as the Sheikh says. And so he says, among them is that which is the right of Allah, the obligatory right of Allah, upon every Muslim man and woman. Every man and Muslim woman who is uh, mature and is obligated to respond to the, to, the, to the commands and prohibitions. So this is the first type, the right of Allah. And from them is that which is the right, the haqqul ibad, the, the haqq uh, of, of the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon a Muslim. Right? So it's the right of a Muslim upon another Muslim. This now is the second type of right. And the third type of right, as the Sheikh says, وَمِنْهَا مَا هُوَ أَعَمْ That which is more general, فَيَدْخُلُ فِيهِ حَقُّ الْمُسْلِمِ لِنَفْسِهِ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ So this now is a more general right, which is the right of a Muslim, which he has over himself. Because you have rights upon yourself. Your soul has a right upon you. Your body has a right upon you. Right? So this is more, more general. So the Sheikh says that this ayah that we have read from uh, Surah An-Nisa, then we find that it contains these rights in a general sense. They mention these rights in a general sense. And as for the tafsil, 
As for the detailed explanation of each of these rights, then the Sheikh says we shall try, insha'Allah ta'ala, in various sittings to try and explain um, you know, the various uh, rights that are mentioned uh, in, in, in this ayah. So he begins, uh, the Sheikh says that we shall suffice ourselves today with the first right, and that is the statement of Allah Azza Worship Allah alone and do not associate any partners with him. And so the Sheikh says, whoever reflects upon this verse and who reflects upon this verse with an open chest, with a heart which is at rest, and someone who is seeking and desiring the truth, he wants uh, the truth and he wants to act upon the truth, then he will find that this right mentioned in this ayah, it mentions two things. There are two things involved in this right. And these two things cannot be separated from each other. And what are they? He says, Al-awwal fi qawlihi wa'budullah. The first is in his statement, worship Allah. Worship Allah. So we all understand what this means. And the second is, wathani, uh, do not associate any partners with him. So the Sheikh says that this combination between these two things, which, which have been brought together, this ta'atuf, this, this combination between these two things, means that the worship of Allah cannot be correct except by avoiding shirk. And so the one who prays, the one who fasts, the one who gives zakah, the one who makes hajj, the one who keeps ties of kinship, the one who shows righteousness to his parents, and he does all of the various avenues of goodness, yet, alongside that, he calls upon other than Allah. And he seeks rescue in calamity from other than Allah. You know, in things which no one has power over except Allah. Then, or he sacrifices to other than Allah. Or he makes an oath to other than Allah. Such a person, all of his deeds are in vain. Right? Even though he, he, he worships Allah. He, he does give worship to Allah. And he does do all the righteous deeds. He prays, fasts, hajj, everything. But alongside this, he is invoking a wali. He is sacrificing to a grave. He is seeking rescue in hardship or calamity. When he's drowning, for example, or when he's had an accident, for example, he's calling upon a wali somewhere, somewhere else. Right? Now he's invalidated and contradicted and made vain, made vain all of his other deeds. And so this is why it's important to understand, as the Sheikh is going to explain, that we have to understand that the, the mushriks of Mecca, the pagans of Mecca, when it was said to them by the Messenger of Allah, worship Allah, they said, Yes, we agree with this. We don't have any problem with this. Let's let's worship Allah. And this is something that Shaykh al-Islam, Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah, mentions in one of his small treaties, uh, uh, the six places in, in, in the seerah, six lessons from the seerah. And in there he mentions that the, the polytheists did not have any issue with worshipping Allah. And they said, yes, we agree, let's, let's, let's worship Allah. And they were fine with the messenger of Allah, up until the point when he said, that worshipping other than Allah is futile and false and your gods and deities that you worship it is futile and it is false and they are tawagheet and they should be abandoned 
and he reviled the false religion that they were upon. This is when they showed enmity to him. This is when they tried to harm him and abuse him and accuse him with everything. You are a magician, you are a soothsayer, you are a liar, you are a this, you are a that. And this is when they showed enmity towards him. But if you go and say to them, let's worship Allah, they will say, yes, let's worship Allah. And this shows a very, very important point that the Shaykh is going to elaborate upon, which is that the Wuhid cannot be established except by uh, affirming that Allah alone is to be worshipped and affirming that whatever is worshipped besides him is futile and false and whatever deen is built upon the worship of other than Allah is futile and false and making takfir of the one who worships with a deen that involves worshipping other than Allah that, 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 that is false and making al-wala and bara upon all of that it is only through this that the, strangle, that, that, that the stronghold the stronghold of Islam can remain and when these things are not found what you will see you will, you will find that the boundaries and the barriers that they will be undermined and they will be erased and then you will move into a direction where you have wahdatul adyan you will have the unity of religions because everybody will agree with you let's all worship God let's worship God the Hindu will say let's worship God the Jew will say let's worship God the Christian will say let's worship God the Baha'i will say let's worship God right all of these people let's worship God and this is what they are, this is what they are calling to this is what they call to uh, by, by, by saying yes we agree on worshipping God and so this leads us to a very important point that the Sheikh is going to elaborate upon which he says that here we have to make notification of a very important point which is, which is what many many people who ascribe themselves to knowledge they ignore and they do not explain it to the people even though they themselves might even accept it inwardly they might act upon it inwardly and outwardly which is that the deen of Islam which Allah sent all the prophets and messengers with from Nuh salam to Muhammad its foundations are two there are two foundations of the authentic true religion the first one he says al-amrul awwal al-da'watu illa ibadatillahi wahdahu calling to, to the worship of Allah alone wa anna al-ibadata mahd haqqihi and that worship is his pure and sole right. There is no partnership in any of that, neither to an angel, Limalakin Muqarrab, or Nabiyin Mursal, or Abdin Salihin min al wal ins. Neither to an angel which is close to, to Allah, nor a the Prophet which has been sent, nor a righteous servant from among the jinn or the men. Right? So this is the call to the worship of Allah alone. What tahreed ala dhalik to encourage and to incite people upon that. Wal muwalat fi and to have loyalty upon that. Wa takfiru man tarakahu and to make takfir of the one who abandoned it. All of these elements they are they are essential to tawheed. And Tawheed cannot be established except with all of the elements which are mentioned here. 
And then he says, so this is the first half or the first part that he mentioned. And the second, وَالثَّانِي التَّحْذِيرُ مِنَ الشِّرْكِ فِي عِبَادَةِ اللَّهِ وَأَنَّهُ مُحْبِطٌ لِلْعَمَلِ مَحْمَا يَكُنِ الْمُشْرَكِ بِهِ That you warn from shirk in the worship of Allah and you explain that it invalidates a person's deeds. All his righteous deeds are vain and nullified and gone. No matter who the, 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 the thing is, the thing or the person is whom you are committing shirk with. It could be a jabal, mountain, it could be a zubaba, it could be a, a, a fly, it could be a small fly, a small fly or a mountain. Right? That we explain this to the people that this is, that we want from the shirk. And what taghlidhu fi dhalik. And we are severe in this because this is a very, very severe matter. Shirk with Allah. This is the greatest crime. It is the greatest dhulm. And wal-mu'adat fih. And to show disloyalty and enmity upon this point. Wa-takfiru man fa'alahu. And to make takfir of the one who did it. All of these things are again, they are together. They cannot be separated. Right? You can't say, you can't say, for example, you know, this, this, and this, and this is shirk. But I'm not going to make takfir of you. Well you, you. well, you can't do that. Because this now is, is an invalidation. Because if, if this, this, and this is shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you have to hate, that you have to dislike shirk. And you have to explain the clear line between truth and falsehood. Right? So all of these things, elements, they are tied together and cannot be separated. And the true religion, the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot be established except by all of these things. Now this does not mean in any way or in any form that we commit injustice against anybody. Right? So do not be deceived by those people who say that just because we explain and clearly delineate, right? we, we explain the boundaries of our religion, that this somehow means that we are going to be unjust to anybody or this somehow comprises hate somehow this is this is hate speech don't fall for this leftist liberal propaganda nonsense that they use really they are the ones who hate right because you hate the truth so what you do is you reverse the scales and everything you don't like that you hate anyone who speaks that you call that hate speech do you understand right and we say, men, men are the protectors and maintainers of women. This is true. This is fact. Factually speaking, it is true. Legislatively speaking, it is true. So they hate this. So they'll say, oh no, this is hate speech towards women. This, this is. No, no. Stop right there. This is not hate speech. You are the one who hate the truth. And you're trying to play this propaganda, this, this bait and switch. You detest the truth. So you come out in the name of anti-hate. Right? So we shouldn't fall for, the, for, the, for, 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 for these types of uh, tricks and propagandas that these people have, these liberalists and these leftists who detest that people should be free to worship Allah, who detest that people should have their rights, their, their rights of property, their rights over their children, their rights over their spouses. They detest all these things. They hate it. And so they come in the name of anti-discrimination, anti-hate, and they play words with games, right? 
So we shouldn't fall for any of this nonsense, and we should call it out from the from the from the very beginning. So as we said, as we said, none of this means just because we explain and we deline delineate the boundaries of our religion, this does not mean that we now can be unjust or behave unjustly, uh, whether towards a Muslim that we see, you know, uh, falling into these things, or whether we behave unjustly with other than a Muslim. Right, because we are, we are commanded with justice and we employ wisdom and the, the asal is to be, to be gentle. So in no way can, can anyone twist and say, well, no, this, you know, th this implies, no, it doesn't. It's, it's not true. So continuing from where the Sheikh mentioned, he said, this principle then that we mentioned here, where these two separate elements, worshipping Allah alone and warning from worshipping other than Allah, these two things, you know, this principle which is comprised of these two things, it is the very foundation of the religion. And many people, they are ignorant of this, either because, either because people have not explained this sufficiently to, to people. That's why you see amongst the Muslims are those who will fall prey to the doubts of, of the people of Wahdatul Adyan and you know, those who come out in the name of human rights and so on and so forth, and they want to amalgamate everybody together, right? Many Muslims, they, they are ignorant of these realities because they have not been sufficiently explained by many of the, of the you know, people who ascribe to knowledge. However, the Sheikh says, those people of knowledge who are the people grounded in knowledge, they are the callers to truth, they are callers upon insight, al-Basira, who give advice to the Ummah, they are the ones who explain the likes of these affairs. And the Shaykh goes on to say that we shall now explain from the Quran, numerous ayat from the Quran, which establish this first right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is mentioned in this ayah. So to be clear, as we said, uh, just, just before we move on, there are no heavenly religions. Uh, there's only one deen, there's only one religion, it's Islam. And Islam is the way of all of the prophets and the messengers. And there are, you know, the, the human rights, the, the, there's only rights granted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And as for everything else, it is the rights that people invent and, and, you know, make up and whatever it might be. But the rights, Allah is the one who gives the rights. So, as for the ayat that the Shaykh is going to mention to establish this first principle, the first ayah he mentions, you are familiar with, Surah Al-Nahl, Surah 16, verse 36. We have indeed sent or raised in every nation a messenger to say that you should worship Allah alone and to avoid or to shun at-tagut. To shun at-tagut. What is the meaning of at-tagut in this ayah? The Sheikh says, at-tagut ash-shirk. Ash-shirk. Right? At-tagut is shirk. So it means shun shirk. And so this is the first ayah. The second ayah that the Sheikh mentions is the statement of Allah Azawajal. Very similar. وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّهُ and your Lord has judged, has decreed, has determined, meaning has commanded, that you do not worship except Him alone. And so this ayah, this is synonymous with the meaning of the kalima la ilaha illallah. 
Because La ilaha illallah means there is none which is deserving of worship except Allah alone. Or there is none who is worshipped in truth with true worship except Allah alone. And so likewise when Allah says and your Lord has decreed has, de uh, has declared and decreed that you do not worship except Allah alone. This is synonymous with the meaning of the kalima la ilaha illallah because it is a combination of nafi, of ithbat and nafi. Affirmation and negation. Negation that anyone besides Allah has a right to be worshipped and affirmation that only Allah should be worshipped. And that's what we find in this ayah. Negation and affirmation. And in the third ayah mentioned by the Shaykh, Rahimahullah, he says, the third ayah is the statement of Allah And we have not sent before you any messenger except that we inspired to him that there is no deity worthy of worship except I, so worship me, so worship me alone. So these are some clear verses which establish the right of Allah. Remember we said, Allah is the one who confers the rights, who explains the rights. And there are rights which belong to himself, which he has explained to us. And there are rights which belong to the servants of Allah, which is also explained to us. And this is the first right. These are verses in the Quran which clearly establish that right very, 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 very clearly. Now here the Shaykh says that we want to explain something important, the difference between al-ibadah and al-ma'bud. Al-ibadah and al-ma'bud. What is the difference? Al-ibadah is the act of worship coming from the servant. Al-ma'bud is the object of worship, the thing being worshipped by the servant. Right? So we have to distinguish between these two. And because there's an issue of names and labels. So, when someone worships other than Allah, there are two things. There is the act of worship, the ibadah, and then there is the ma'bud, the thing, or the object, or the person who was worshipped other than Allah. So, there's an issue here to do with names and labels. So, as for the act of worship, we call that Tagut, right? It is labeled Tagut in every instance, no matter what the thing being worshipped. Right? So what are we referring to here? We are referring to labeling the act of worship given to other than Allah, irrespective of who or what it is other than Allah. So for example, if someone worshipped a stone, that act is Tagut. Tagut. The meaning of Tagut, meaning to exceed the limits, to go beyond the boundaries, right? Now, if a person was to worship an angel, that act is Tagut, even though he worshipped an angel. And if someone was to worship a prophet, like Isa salam, that act, that ibadah is Tagut, meaning exceeding the limits or, you know, shirk as we explained. Is Tawood. So in all instances, irrespective of what you worship, 
your action, the ibadah, is always taghut. It has the name or the label of being taghut. Meaning because it, it has exceeded the limits. It has exceeded the boundaries of truth and justice. Because nobody besides Allah has a right to be worshipped. So why have you given worship to someone else? This now is taghut. Okay? So this is in terms of ibadah, the act of worship. As for the ma'bud, the thing being worshipped, then this is of various types. There are various categories that fall into, you know, things which are worshipped besides Allah. Iblis is a taghut. Iblis is a taghut. People worship Iblis. There are, there are people who actually worship Iblis. And these are the, you know, the very uh, rich and wealthy elites you know, who, who, who actually worship Iblis, they believe in him, and they have a religion underneath that. A Freemasonry is, is the shield or the cover for that religion into which people enter. And so they actually worship Iblis, they believe he is the, the light bearer, they believe that he liberates mankind from, from the shackles, and he will, you know, give them knowledge that Allah tried to keep hidden from mankind. So this is an actual religion. And there are people who actually worship Iblis and they have rituals and they have sacrifices and they, they sacrifice uh, people, women and children. And uh, this is how they, they, they get the uh, cooperation of, of the shayateen amongst the jinn. Right? So this, is, this is these people. There are people, so, so Iblis is a taghut because there are people who, who worship him. Likewise, the one who is worshipped by other people and he's pleased with that worship right he's not calling people to worship him but people worship him and he's he's happy he's, he's pleased at the fact that he's being worshipped this is a taghut this individual now is a taghut right even though the the worship itself is also taghut then there is another one who invites the people to worship him he calls the people to worship him this also is a taghut this individual also a taghut. So we have different categories, right? However, not everyone that is worshipped besides Allah can we call him a taghut. Right? So that's the difference now. Ibadah to other than Allah in every instance is taghut. But the ma'bud, the thing being worshipped, it's not necessarily the case that in every instance that individual, that being is a taghut. Right? So for example, we know that the Christians, they worship Isa salam. But Isa salam did not call anyone to, to worship. He denied, he will deny that on the, the, the day of judgment. Uh, and nor did, uh, you know, any of the other, any of the other prophets, nor, nor did the angels call others to worship them. So we cannot say, we cannot apply this label of Dawood to the prophets, to the righteous, to, to the angels. Because they, they are not pleased with this and they don't call to this. Right? So the Sheikh made this clarification that it's, it's necessary to understand this difference. That worshipping other than Allah, there's no exception to it. All of it is Dawood. Meaning the act of worship. The actions of worship for other than Allah. And as for the Ma'bud, then it varies. If it's an angel, if it's a prophet, a messenger the righteous people then even though the worship given to them is Tawut, they themselves are not Tawut. 
And conversely, Iblis, those who call to worship of themselves, those who are pleased at being worshipped, then they are the, 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 you know, they, they are, they are tawagit, they are false deities. They are, they are those whom the people have exceeded the limits. This is the meaning of tagut, as Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, this is the, the, one of the best definitions given and accepted by the scholars, that tagut is ma tajawaza bihil abd haddahu, right? That which the servant, the servant exceeds uh, its limit, Min ma'budin of one that is worshipped, or matbu'in, one that is followed, or muta'in, or one which is you know obeyed. So when you exceed the limits in worship or obedience or following, and it exceeds the limits of what should be given. So for example, if you you know if you uh, exceed the limits in following a like like a Sufi, for example, a saint, for example, who asks you to uh, do certain things which, which transcend the limits, go beyond the limits of obedience, then, you fall, then you've gone beyond the limits. This now becomes taagut uh, in terms of uh, obedience, which is obedience which involves disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a definition given by, given by Ibn al-Qayyim. Important thing is that we distinguish between the ibadah and the ma'bud and when we can label something as taagut and when something is not taagut. And the scholars have explained this issue in the various uh, books and commentaries. So after mentioning these ayat, evidence for the right of Allah, next he will mention a hadith as evidence for this right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what is the, what is the hadith? It is the hadith um, of Abdurrahman bin Abdi Rabbi al-Ka'bah from Abdullah bin Amr from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he said, إِنَّهُ لَمْ يَكُنْ نَبِيٌّ قَبْلِي إِلَّا كَانَ حَقَّهُ إِلَّا كَانَ حَقُّهُ عَلَيْهِ أَنْ يَدُلَّ أُمَّتَهُ عَلَى خَيْرٍ عَلَى خَيْرِ مَا يَعْلَمُهُ لَهُمْ وَأَنْ يُنْذِرَهُمْ شَرُّ مَا يَعْلَمُهُ لَهُمْ Indeed, there was no prophet before me except that it was a right upon him, except that it was his right, a right upon him, to direct his nation to his ummah to whatever goodness he knew for them and to warn them from whatever evil he knew for them. And so here it is mentioned the, the, the haq, the right, and the Sheikh says that the greatest of what the Prophet knew that it is haq and sidq, that it is true and it is, it, it is correct and true and right and it is the deen of Allah what is it? It is the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the greatest of what the prophets knew to be, to be true and right and correct and most worthy. To single out Allah with worship as opposed to others besides him. And then also to give all of the other various obligations. So he mentioned the obligations, the, the five pillars, who are, which are the greatest pillars after the, the rest of the four pillars, which are the greatest pillars after the shahada. So the sheikhs, so the prophets, they came and they conveyed and they explained this to the people because this is the best of what they knew for the people. And the greatest of that is singling out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with worship. And likewise in the hadith that he warns them from whatever evil he knows for them. And the greatest of that which should be warned against 
and prohibited against is and, and to be severe in that it is a shirk fi ibadatillah it is partners in the worship of Allah and then all of the other various sins which follow you know the great sins the major sins and the, and the minor sins so this way and this method is the way of the people of truth and insight those who follow the guidance of Muhammad and you know his his brethren from the prophets and messengers all of them are agreed upon this particular course in calling to Allah right that we begin by explaining the greatest thing which is good for the people and warning from the greatest evil which is harmful for the people which is tawheed and conversely shirk and so all of the prophets and messengers they begin and they rectify by beginning with this with this call worship Allah alone and do not associate any partners other than him this now leads us into the methodology of da'wah this is the way of the prophets and messengers this is how they all began to rectify their nations their societies even though these societies had so many different types of evils you see for example with the people of Lut they were they were they were committing uh, lewdness uh, in a way that no one had ever committed before we had other nations they were cheating in the weights and measures uh, there were other nations uh, they were they were haughty and they were arrogant and they thought that just because they they you know had palaces and, and cities and they conquered and they were they had armies that somehow they were invincible and they were arrogant oh, every every nation has things within 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 it um, but the first thing that the messengers began with was the issue of tawhid and shirk why because every injustice is a branch of the greatest injustice right the greatest injustice is shirk and when you have the greatest injustice which is shirk when people worship other than Allah then out of that comes every other evil every other injustice every other sin every other you know uh, harm or evil that, that afflicts the people so by way of example today you see in, in these western liberal societies you see uh, broken homes you see single parents you see gun crime knife crime drugs you see poverty you people you see people dispossessed of their possessions property livelihood on the streets you know sleeping in the streets you see alcohol you see gambling you see broken down relationships you see mental health problems you see you see you see, you see everything total disintegration of uh, society and uh, they claim they are illuminated and and you know progressive and so on and so forth but the society is completely disintegrated in disarray in ruin um, everything has just disintegrated why is this right it's because of of the the, the foundational issue of worshiping other than Allah and abandoning the legislation of Allah whatever Allah revealed to his prophets and messengers the law the law Allah revealed the law to Musa salam, the Torah he revealed the Sharia to Muhammad right which is the completion of the law of all previous prophets and messengers in this law is a protection of of man of society from all of these evils but the foundation of it is to single out Allah in worship and so when that goes 
then you will see over time that society will disintegrate and all of these evils will slowly begin to appear. In fact, as the scholars say, just to give you another example, with magic and the magicians, when the athar of Tawheed and Iman, when they recede, this is when the magicians and the soothsayers, this is when they start appearing in the society. When, when Iman recedes, when Tawheed you know, goes and disappears, this is when these people come out. When Tawheed is strong, and established and rooted in the hearts of the people, these people go underground because they can't surface. In the same way, when the law is established, then all of these evils simply cannot be found. Drugs, theft, fornication, adultery, it won't be found. And within this is a protection of the society from, from all of this evil. So the prophets and messengers, when they make islah, when they rectify society, they always begin. Yes, there are all these issues present in the society, but they don't begin with that. And the messenger himself never began with that. He never prohibited alcohol first, nor did he prohibit fornication first, nor did he prohibit usury first. Right? These all happened later. But it began with the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, placing iman in the hearts of the servants, reminding them of the hereafter, of the resurrection, of the accounting of paradise, of hellfire, and so on and so forth, the tribulation in the grave, and putting in their hearts iman, which make it easier for them to accept the commands and the prohibitions. So it is, within this is wisdom. And so the way of the prophets and messengers in rectifying societies is to focus and always bring everything back down to this right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the shaykh then goes on to say, to finish, we can finish with this inshallah ta'ala. He says, whoever's maslak, whoever's approach or way is other than this maslak, meaning other than the way that we just described of the prophets and messengers, then this can only be one of two people. It can only be one of two people. The first of them is either he is da'iyatul hawa wal-dalal ahlul bida'i wal-muhdathat fi dinillah Either this person is, is a, a caller of, of desires, of his desire, of misguidance. They are the people of innovation, of newly invented things in the religion of Allah. These people, and th th these people we, we are referring to here are those people who, who they neglect this issue of the right of Allah. To single out Allah in worship. They see people in the Muslim lands worshipping graves, traveling hundreds of miles just to, you know, ask something from the inhabitant of the grave. My wife cannot have children. Grant her children. You know, I have an illness which can't be cured. Cure my illness. Asking these things. And they see these things with their own eyes in the societies around them. And then they say that we need to topple the rulers. The reason why there's injustice is because of the evil rulers. Let's topple the rulers. And they're observing shirk in front of, front of their eyes. And the reason why you have this tyranny is because there's evils in your midst that you didn't change and remove. Right? So, so these types of people who reverse what the prophets and messengers came with, the prophets and messengers came with, Establishing Tawheed and rooting out Shirk as the foundation on top of which to build the 
the, the leadership and the law and the rule. These people want to topple the rulership while there is all the shirk and kufr and bid'ah and dalala and every type of evil they want to build on top of that. This is impossible. You can't build a house on foundations with cracks. You can't do that. It's gonna, part of it's going to go that way and part of it's going to go that way and part of it's going to fall. It's not going to happen. Right? So this is tremendous misguidance. It's, it's misguidance. Even though it might, might sound beautiful. might sound beautiful. Right? That let us all, you know, we should forget our differences and let's cooperate on the things that we do, do agree upon. We all say, La ilaha illallah. The Shi'i says, La ilaha illallah. The Sufi who worships other than Allah says, La ilaha illallah. The grave worshiper says, Let's all, because we agree upon this one statement, let's all agree and just forget our differences and let's work to you know, improve our manners and to. This, this is tremendous misguidance in terms of methodology. So, this first group of people are, are people who choose this path upon an ideology. Right? Either they are the Khawarij who want to topple the rulers. Or they are people who believe in the unity of religions, as you see with many of, of, of the Sufis. They believe all religions lead to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, let us unite and whatever it might be on side issues, you know, climate change or human rights or whatever it might be. You know, let's, let's unite on these issues and work together. Right? So these people who are people upon an ideology, and they oppose the way of the prophets and messengers upon an ideology. So these are the callers to misguidance. And it is, we have to oppose them. We have to warn from them. We have to, uh, because they are causing tremendous harm and damage to, 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 the, uh, to, the, to the Muslim nation. So the Sheikh is saying that if we are in a position of strength and power, if we as people of Tawheed and the Sunnah have power and strength, we are large in numbers, we have ability in a town or a city or a country, then we have to be severe and stern against these people, refute them, warn against them, right? This is the first category of people. The second category of people, the Sheikh says, uh, sorry, before we continue, he said, however, if the situation is otherwise, that we are small in number, as people of Tawheed and the Sunnah, we are few in number. We don't have much strength. We don't have much ability. And if we were to warn against these people, they would bring us harm because they are the ones who have the clout, they have the power, they have the positions, they have the wealth, and they could quite easily harm us, shut us down. Right? In that case, we simply explain the truth and the falsehood, and we do not really you know, uh, speak about them necessarily in order that, that you know, we, we're not subjected to harm coming from them. So this is, this is basically wisdom. It's wisdom. Right? If you are in a town or a city where you are two, three people, and Ahlul Bid'ah, the Ikhwanis and these people, they are the ones with all the masajid, or they have, you know, they are the ones in the committees and the councils and this and that, whatever, and you're going to come out all, you know, this one is this and that, one is this, and they're going to they're do things to harm you. They're going to harm you. Right? They're going to bring problems for you. So you don't do things like that. You do things with wisdom. You explain what is true. You explain this is the way of the prophets and this is what opposes them. And you explain that. Right? And you call the people to that. But you're not in a position to, to make that tahdeer and to reduce their evil in that way. But if you are in a town, a city or a country where you have the strength and the people of Tawheed and Sunnah are many and the majority, you can now use that strength 
to root out any opposition, misguidance, and you can warn against these people, write against these people, point them out by name, and because you want to diminish the evil, and you can do that. This is from wisdom, right? So here, we are, the Sheikh is pointing out to the use of wisdom. Anyhow, this is the first group, those who are upon an ideology and they oppose the way of the prophets and messengers in how to rectify the society. The second group of people who oppose the way of the prophets and messengers, they are the al-jahala, they are just the ignorant people, they, are, they don't really know. They are the wahumul muta'alimun wal mutasaddiruna fi da'wati wa ta'limin nas. These are the people who are just ignorant people, they don't know. But they put themselves, to for, put themselves forward. They pretend to have knowledge. Put themselves forward to teach the people, to call people, and to you know, uh, teach people on the basis of either it's just their opinion, or it is just their analogies, their qiyas, or it is just their own ideas, or it is whatever it might be. right? But it is not upon the fiqh, the understanding of the book of Allah, the noble book of Allah, and the sunnah of the Prophet so these people, these types of people, right? So these people are just, they are ignorant and they don't know what they're doing. So upon us is to advise them and to explain to them, to take them by the hand and to direct them and guide them to the path of safety, the path of deliverance, to the right path, the true path. So if they respond, if they accept and agree and they respond to us, then alhamdulillah, they are from us, we are from them, they are our brothers. And if they then refuse and continue in the path that they are, have chosen upon ignorance, upon absence of knowledge and so on and so forth, then, um, then, you know, then, then we shun them and um, you know, we, we, we avoid them and we warn from them. Uh, this is our approach towards these people. So this brings us to an end of the first haqq, the first right, which is the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And just really to kind of uh, conclude uh, whatever we discussed in this lesson, we spoke about the meaning of the word haqq, what does it mean? Uh, we established that the rights are given to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he who creates owns and he who creates knows and he who creates has a wisdom in what he creates. So he is the one who is the grantor of, of, of the rights and he is the one who legislates and he legislates for a wisdom. And uh, the, the, these rights uh, mentioned in, in, in the Quran in many places in this ayah it is known as the ayah or the verse of ten rights the first and the greatest of those ten rights is the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be worshipped alone and the abandonment of worship of whatever is besides him and the shaykh established this by giving us three verses from the Quran as evidence and a hadith from the messenger of Allah sallam as an evidence and then he established also uh, distinguishing between ibadah and ma'bud and when we apply the label of tagut and when we do not and he also established for us the methodology of da'wah and how we rectify society and how the prophets and messengers they began with this first right because it is the greatest of, of all rights you have to establish the right of Allah first because that is the greatest justice it is the greatest adal you have to have that in place first before you can have any other adal any other justice right so this was the way of the prophets and messengers and those people who oppose this and deviate from this either they do so upon knowledge 
upon an ideology, upon misguidance, or they do so upon ignorance, upon, and, and obviously our position towards them varies based upon you know, what category they, they are, what category they fall into. Can we listen to, so that's the end of the lesson uh, for, for today, inshallah, we'll continue in the next, uh, with the next right, which is the right of the parents in the next lesson, inshallah ta'ala. Someone has a quick question, I'll quickly uh, take the question. Uh, can we listen to Ahl Hadith in Pakistan and benefit from them? The people, those who are called Ahlul Hadith in Pakistan, they are, they, they are no longer Ahlul Hadith in the way that we, that we understand as the followers of Hadith and Sunnah upon uh, the way of the prophets and messengers in Tawheed and calling to Tawheed. Rather, they have, they have deviated from that and they are into siyasa. Uh, within them is the manhaj of the khawarij. They are nurtured upon the books of, uh, to a large degree, uh, of Sayyid Qutb, Hassan al-Banna. And they have adopted many of the ways, the masalik, the ways and approaches of, of the hizbiyin. And they do not... Um, you know, they, they, they neglect the call to Tawheed and making wala wal bara around Tawheed. And all of this is, is known and established. There are many, many evidences that this is what they are upon, um, uh, you know, in Pakistan and likewise in India. Uh, so they've changed from what they used to be upon many, many centuries back. When they, be, when they used to be scholars, ulama who gave great service to, to hadith and its sciences, uh, but the contemporaries, they, they are jam'iyyat. They, they, these are organizations. And they are heavily involved in politics and seeking uh, power and, and, and you know, involving the people in political issues and making those to be the greatest affairs while neglecting the issues of Tawheed and the Sunnah and so on and so forth. So no, uh, we, we don't, uh, you know, we, we, we do not take knowledge uh, from them because this is the nature of their reality. This is just a very general brief answer, but the details uh, are very, very lengthy and they are all, all present. So, okay. Yeah, this is the view of some of the of, of the scholars like Sheikh Salman Taymiyyah that that ayah say that ayah in which Allah says, "Inna Allah la ghafiru an yushraka bihi." Indeed, Allah does not forgive that partners are set up with Him. So, some of the scholars are of the view that this shirk here includes both the major shirk and also the minor shirk. Right? So. What does this practically mean? It means that if you die as a mushrik without having repented and turned to Tawheed in the is and, and Islam, well, that shirk can never ever be forgiven, right? If you die upon shirk, then you can you can never never be forgiven. But as a Muslim, if you if you are not upon the, the major shirk, but you fall into minor shirk, right? That you fall into riya showing off or you you know have other things which enter into minor shirk now these things will not be they will not be uh, forgiven allah will not forgive them 
because Allah does not forgive shirk. However, this does not mean that those, because this is a sin that doesn't take you outside the fold of Islam. So the question now is, are there other things that can expiate or make up or ward off the punishment for these things? And the answer is, is yes, because Ibn Taymiyyah himself affirms and establishes that the servant uh, is not just repentance, but there are other things that can actually save a person from being punished and which can earn him forgiveness. And they can be his, his righteous deeds, it can be dua, uh, it can be um, you know, the dua of other people, it can be you know, calamities and hardships and difficulties in the life of this world or in, in the barzakh or in the hereafter. There are other things, there are you know, things which can uh, lead to uh, a person being protected from, from punishment in the hereafter. So, yes, that is the view of some of the scholars that minor shirk enters into that ayah. However, other scholars have the view that, you know, uh, it doesn't include minor shirk. It is if you die upon the major shirk which expels you from the fold of Islam. He's only grateful in the thing in which he's shown gratitude. Right. So, so in the things he's not being grateful, he's ungrateful. Yeah. So, it, so we can't say, yes, he's been grateful by neglecting his obligations. Right. And nor can we say, well, he's not being grateful in that thing. Because he might be grateful to Allah for his, for his risk. He might, you know, uh, he might give charity. He might, you know, say to Allah, I'm grateful, whatever. He might, you know... So he's grateful in the things for which he's showing gratitude and he's not grateful in the things which, for which he's not showing grat grateful. But obviously he's in great danger if, he, if he's not, you know, fulfilling the, the greater ob obligations. Yeah. because it's the mulk Allah is the, is the master of the day of judgment so al-malik is the name al-malik and mulk is from rububiyyah because rab means al-khalq wal-mulk wal-tadbir right so from the meanings of rububiyyah is to be the creator and the owner and the regulator so because Allah is Maliki Yomiddin. He's the master of the day of judgment. Then this is his mulk. He, he will be the sole master on the day of judgment. So therefore, this is from the meanings of Rububiyyah, alongside being the meaning of the, 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 the name Al, -Al, Al Malik, meaning the, 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 the it's the name of Allah, uh, the, the master or the owner. So here in this name is both Rububiyyah and also Asma Al Asma wa Sifat. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Tarawi prayer. Was okay. Okay. So I went on the actual Muslim Khan Sayyid Bukhari and it's there as well. Okay. So how how do we deal with this kind of because obviously Muslim Khan was a was a scholar. Yeah. It's it's a, it's it's a kind of mistake in translation that wording would not is is obviously it's not the best choice because it kind of you know uh, it's, not, it's not an innovation in religion because the Tarawi prayer was, or was done by the Messenger of Allah for two or three nights. So it can't be an innovation in religion because it has a precedence. But what was, what was innovation uh, it means in the sense that um, um, it's referring to the act of reinstituting the Tarawi prayer, if you know what I mean. And not the Tarawi prayer itself because that's already established to be from the practice of the Messenger of Allah for two or three nights. So it has a precedence. Uh, it's more in the sense of what a, what a great action or idea or what a great you know, thing this is to, to, to do this. Right? To bring people back to what they were upon in the time of the Messenger of Allah because Muslim didn't do that in case legislation came and made it obligatory. So he abandoned it. Then after the passing of the Messenger of Allah when Revelation is no longer coming down and it can't be made obligatory and it won't be a burden upon the ummah Then he brought it back, you know So that in itself is like a, a, a Something novel that wasn't done by anyone before him Even though the act itself was done in the time of the messenger of Islam. So That wording there would would allow people to use it to justify innovation in religion So Allah, Allah knows best that's probably just a, a mistake that You know was made in the translation Yeah. Well, the, the worship, the, there's the worship which is acceptable to Allah, which is with ikhlas, which is directed to Him alone. Um, so that is what is acceptable to Allah. But this does not mean that when, you know, we see like a, a Christian or a Jew or whatever, they might give devotion to Allah or a polytheist even for example right their worship is directed to Allah they in appearances they are worshiping Allah but that does not mean that that worship is acceptable to Allah even though they themselves are directing the worship to Allah so the polytheist as we know they used to they used to worship Allah and then they used to worship other than Allah alongside Allah and this is shirk and this is why you'll see uh, Sheikh al Sheikh Fawzan and many other scholars when they make commentary of uh, Al-Qad al-Arba or Kashf al-Shubuhat and you know, books like this, they will define what was the nature of the shirk of the polytheists. Ya'budun Allah, they worship Allah, wa ya'budun ghayrahu ma'ahu. And they worship others besides Allah alongside Allah and this is shirk. So that other worship that they give to other people invalidates all of the other worship that they were doing for Allah. Because it, it invalidates that, that worship. Even though that worship is, is, is you know, they're directing it to Allah. 
right? It becomes invalidated and, and unacceptable because shirk has now entered into, into, into their, their worship in, in general and it has been corrupted. The whole thing has now become corrupted. So there's no, no conflict or no uh, contradiction that ibadah is not called ibadah uh, except with tawheed, meaning the ibadah which is acceptable to Allah. So the ibadah that Allah accepts is only with tawheed, right? But what the mushrik does, you know, when he worships, it's still, still worship. He's worshipping Allah, but he's not acceptable to Allah. It's not maqbool with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's, that's the difference. So, yeah. Okay, inshallah, we conclude our lesson there for today. We'll continue uh, the next time that we meet, inshallah ta'ala. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.